We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, all year long, Jack Manuel. Jack, season didn't end how we would like it, but it's over. It's over. Uh, not the way we wanted, Nick, like you said, but uh, what a ride. Yeah, it was a fun ride. I mean, even the playoff series was a fun ride. T- ton of drama, storylines. They picked up a W in the playoffs. And I think if anybody in the beginning of the year was like, what would you do for a playoff W for the Nets? And it actually happened. And I think that's just a huge surprise and something to appreciate. Obviously, we're going to break down this game five performance, which was terrible. And there's no no way to defend that. But overall, I think you still have to have some type of positive vibe carry over from the season. Yeah, I think that, you know, you, you look at it a bit more uh, with a broad overview, Nick. Um, I stopped taking notes after the <laughs> third quarter. Um, you know, it was just literally nothing to really break down. Um, but, you know, looking at the season as a whole, I, I think, one of the Brooklyn game or one of the Nets sort of fan pages was sort of delving into the fact that how would you grade this season overall? A, l- a lot of B pluses, a few A's, some A pluses. I'd probably go with the A minus. Um, I think we exceed expectations and um, I'll take an A minus any day of the week. Yeah, I think you have to almost go with an A, like a 14 game improvement, you know, like from last year. That's a really big jump. Like you don't really see teams do that, especially when they don't acquire a ton of players. Like it was mostly. Uh, internal development, which I thought was really cool for a lot of guys. And I think that's one reason the fans feel so attached to this team is you're watching these guys go from being guys that can't even stay on the NBA floor to being, you know, stars or above average starters. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, you're looking at individual improvements and improvements from as a collective, you know, there was no, apart from, you know, the, the, this playoff series, there was no declines. You know, everyone made an improvement to everyone who was on that roster. You know, from the guys who were in the G League who just made an impact on the bench and were just great teammates to, you know, guys like D'Angelo Russell who are going to earn themselves a big payday, which will be 
uh, a pretty in-depth discussion with you, my friend, when we uh, do some player reviews and free agency stuff. But Yeah, I uh, think that's like the biggest narrative, I think, after this series. You know, obviously other guys didn't play well, but the guy who's supposed to be the best player, and I think that's going to carry, carry on and be the talk for the Nets until July 1st. Yeah, it's probably going to be the biggest thing with, you know, the, the free agency uh, moves uh, around Kawhi Lennon, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, uh, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, these sort of guys. All of them have been linked with the Nets. Um, and I know that we've already got some talk about the the fact that, you know, what we need to do in from guys like SSV and stuff. But we will be delving into that with probably some really big bumper pods. We'll probably make them some live ones as well. Um, but it's going to be... Um, looking back, reflecting on, you know, this series overall, the season overall, um, it wasn't the, this isn't the finish that the Nets deserve because, you know, you, you always look back to what was that last game? How did the, the how did the story finish? How did the story end? And the 2018-19 story didn't deserve this ending. Yeah, you wish the series ended after game four. You know, you could live with that, and it kind of would be fitting if the refs missed the call at the end of the game and they lose, but they still fought their way in it. You know, I think if the series ended game four, we'd all be kind of, I don't want to say happy, but the way game five kind of went down, obviously, it was a blowout from the start. I think what the Sixers start, like 26-2 to or 27-2, to it was just as pitiful as it can really get in an NBA playoff game. Yeah, it was one of the worst performances, easily the worst performance of the Nets. One of the worst performances you could probably expect from any team in any sort of outcome. It was, you know, it, it wasn't good. Let's just yeah. put it plainly and simply. But um, Crazy Dean has jumped in, Nick. Do you think the, the lights may have been a little bit too big for Joe Harris? Um, I'll let you speak negatively about Joe Harris because it, it, it hurts me to do so. You know, I think for a lot of guys, I don't think it's just Joe Harris to single him out. I think a lot of guys, and I'm talking to you in the DMs and tweeting out during the game, I think the entire team was almost shook during game five. And a lot of guys didn't play well in the series in terms of role players. We talked about three-point percentage in the last uh, last show. It's It's been Dudley. It's been Carroll. It's been Harris. It's been everybody from the three-point line not shooting well. Rodion's didn't knock down a three until this game. D'Angelo Russell has been great in the series. The only net who you can really say was good this entire series was Karis LeVert. So I think, you know, Joe Harris struggled, but so did the whole team. And I think it was just a really bad time for him to get into a funk. And I don't think it was as much as the playoffs. I just think sometimes you just start missing threes as a three-point shooter. We've seen him go through slumps this year. They don't last long. But a playoff series, you start cold, you're going to end cold most likely. Unless you're Clay Thompson, who just is crazy. Yeah, and he, you know, he started the season super-duper cold, and then he had that, four, like, 11 threes against Chicago. I, I mean, Joe Harris has a ways to go to be considered in that real upper echelon. He's done it for a season, maybe two if you want to consider it. Um, I, I thought he was, you know, his regular season was absolutely outstanding. Um, but at the same time, like we sort of, like you sort of mentioned, Nick, with all the other guys, you make your mark in the playoffs. That's where, you know, the, the big guys make their names. And Joe Harris, you know, in, in terms of relating it to – to Crazy Dean, what what his comment was, you know, the lights may be a little bit too bright for him. Uh, I think that the momentum, um, uh, I think, got to him a little bit. You know, he started the season off really well. I think it was uh, the, the series off really well, three of four. And then, you know, he hit one tonight and hit that long two. You know, he, it was just a, I think when it comes to perimeter shooting and the fact that it's so important for this Nets squad, you, know, you feed off everyone else and, and how they're sort of going. You know, Damari's on hitting him. Like you mentioned, Rodians is in hitting him. D'Lo was poor from there. Karis LeVert was like, you know, the only guy who was efficient from the field. Spencer was missing them. Uh, Jared Dudley was hitting, you know, one in every 10 or whatever. Um, so I think that it, it, Joe Harris is, is one of the guys that the, the lights are a little bit too bright. But I think that, you know, he's got another season under a really nice cost-friendly 
contract um, for, for the Nets. And it's going to be interesting to see how he bounces back, how he bounces back from that, you know, in the regular season. Because, you know, we've seen the the biggest and best and brightest of stars really sort of falter on in the playoff sort of setting. And, you know, James Harden's one of them. He's starting to make his name for himself. He had a horrible night. So it's Joe Harris as a role player. Uh, it's not just him that suffers under this big bright lights of the of the NBA playoffs, but um, it, it's a bit disappointing that it ha- had to happen at a time like this. And I think some of it goes to the team construction, and this is no disrespect to Joe Harris, but you know he he might not be a starter on a team, a championship team, just because you have two liabilities defensively. We have a D'Angelo Russell, a Joe Harris out there, or it could be the fact that the Nets are kind of asking too much out of a player like Joe Harris. You know he is a role player, and they almost need him to be their third scorer and someone they can consistently rely on. And I don't think he's there yet. So it's kind of on the nets and the construction of the team. It would have been nice and we wouldn't have this conversation. We got hot from three, but it's a lot to depend on a three-point shooter who could easily be kind of taken out of a game too. Yeah, and I think that um, a lot of Nets fans might disagree with me in this, but the the Allen Crab injury might have had an effect as well. Um, yeah. I, I think he is legitimately a sharpshooter. Yes, his injury status and he's a, a horrible, the only horrible contract and horrible move that Sean Marks has made, but... You know, you have more guys that can shoot. It eases the burden off, off these other dudes. You know, Joe Harris is our only legitimate marksman from there. Dilo can get hot. Damari Carroll can get hot. Carlos uh, Levert can get hot a little bit. So can Spencer. But they're not known three-point shooters. It's not their, like, elite skill if you were going on NBA 2K. Uh, so I think that, you know, if we can add some more in that department because it's such an important part of our offense, you know, even if it's just guys who are above average, uh, I think that it's, it's going to help uh, in terms of the depth, uh, in terms of a really important part of our offensive scheme. Yeah, I agree. I think Crab could have had an impact because, you know, after game one, the spacing in the series wasn't great for the Nets. And a lot of that was Damari missing threes or the guys we talked about missing threes, D'Angelo not really being consistent, especially on that pull-up three, which kind of opens up the floor for everybody. And Karis LeVert's not really a catch-and-shoot guy. It feels like he's better off the dribble in terms of three-point shooting, at least he was in this series. And then Spencer's kind of hot and cold. So I do think they need to upgrade in that three-point department, especially with the offense they run. They just need guys who are more consistent from deep. It doesn't have to be, you know, the elite shooters, but you'd have to be able to hit, hit like high 30s, low 40s yeah i mean we made this um made these sort of comments when we were uh, with Corey at the nba outlets sort of talking about the oklahoma city thunder and their offense isn't necessarily predicated or, or heavily reliant on, on the three ball i mean everyone in the modern nba is um but yeah we definitely need we need guys that can shoot three be it through the draft or whatever but you know ssv has brought up the fact that can we get a bit of a tobias harris He's a guy we'll certainly delve into in the free agency preview. Um, Crazy Dean has also just jumped in. If available, would you bring in Boogie Cousins? Or do you think he might not fit in Kenny's system? Interesting what happened. I don't think we've even chatted about him at all. Someone brought up to me last year, and I wasn't really super interested. I, I'd be more intrigued if I heard more about the quad injury. Right now, we're kind of in the dark almost because there's a lot of talk, oh, he could possibly come back to the finals or he's not getting surgery. Like, if it's not that serious of injury, he's definitely an intrigue, but I feel like he's not at the top of my list. You know, I think the Nets are really invested in Jared Allen and what he brings. And I think Kenny doesn't necessarily look for a dominant post player, but Boogie Cousins is a really good player and he can change the dynamic of a team. He can. And he's, you know, you look back to just two seasons ago, he is incredibly talented. And in terms of offensively, I think there were points, you know, when I was sort of just starting with OTG and sort of like maybe one year in my tenure, He's the most offensively talented big man in the league. He could just get his own. He developed a nice three-point shot as well. Um, his physical dominance as well. Obviously, his conditioning leaves a little bit to be desired. 
But yeah, he's obviously going to be wanting that payday. The quad injury, I think, leaves a lot to sort of question marks around that, like you mentioned, Nick. Does he come back for one more year with Golden State Warriors in terms of they give him, you know, 100, 120% more of what his contract is over there? I think he's probably going to want to try and get that uh, that bank early. There are some other big men on the market as well, like Vucevic, DeAndre Jordan. Those are just guys at the top of my head. Uh, we certainly could use a guy, Kim, and SSV has also mentioned a guy, Dwayne Dedman. Uh, I think that we sort of spoke about, and a lot of Nets Twitter spoke about, uh, we would have it certainly would have been handy having that third big guy, and, you know, a guy like Dwayne Dedman who was linked to us and has always played well against us. And he hit us with the like call thing during the game. He did. <laughs> he did. Um, so I think that in terms of free agency acquisitions, there's a lot that the Nets need to cover because yes, we did finish six. Yes, we did finish exceed expectations, um, but we still have a lot, a lot to go until we can be uh, a legitimate contender in either conference. And I think every year until you're at a championship level, you look to kind of improve your roster bit by bit. You know, sometimes you'll get a big piece, but some might be just upgrading different positions a little bit, and that can make a jump. Having a guy like Dwayne Dedman in the series would have been huge, especially with a three-point shooting. But like Jack said, you know, we're going to probably – think we're going to like do more offseason pods than we ever had to because the nets are going to be so active in in so many different rumors it's going to be insane and you know blue skies has just dumped in in terms of dumping a guy like damari carroll does the recency bias for you nick sort of sway you uh more to the negative side of of wanting to keep damari carroll we've sort of know how great he is as, as a teammate the impact he's had on d'angelo russell and their sort of relationship um have you soured at all on damari carroll being a future brooklyn net I think uh, the injury had an impact. We know he had that hand slash wrist injury, and I think that had an impact. And we always talked about bringing back DeMarie Carroll for next season. It was never to be a starter or like a big-time contributor. It would be a bench guy, and he'd have a smaller role, especially with a lot of the younger guys kind of improving. I think you'd see a jump for Rodion's next year. Musa might have minutes. So, And especially if they get one of the big fish, even if it's a KD, a Kawhi, or all the way down to a Tobias Harris, I think that kind of impacts Damari because right now I think his best position is probably still like that small ball four. So... My opinion on him really hasn't changed because I wasn't super positive on him coming back next year anyways, and I felt like his role was going to be a lot smaller in the next season, especially with age. Yeah, and I think that in terms of the poor form in the, in this sort of um, postseason, it almost might benefit the Nets front office to an extent. True. It's like, look, you know, what other teams are going to want to pay you tomorrow? What other teams are going to want to give you that Max D'Angelo? Um, maybe that benefits the Sean Marks and his team a little bit in terms of negotiating. Um, so I, I think that if we can get Carroll, Dudley, these vets uh, at, at a sort of cost-effective sort of contract, then I'd love to have them back because I think their impact goes beyond what they've done on the court. And yes, they haven't done a, a, a tremendous amount, especially in this postseason. Carroll's been great this season. Joe Dudley's been an insane teammate. And the fact that he's got Nets Twitter united against uh, the Sixers army has been insane. But... Uh, off the court, Nick, we've got SSV jumping in. Um, we obviously don't know, know this ourselves, but we might have a bit of a chat about it. What's the plan with the podcast this offseason? When should we expect them to come out? We haven't even talked about it yet. <laughs> uh, we haven't done uh, our scheduling yet at all. I mean, we can talk about different things that we're going to look to drop. We're going to do player reviews like we did last year. That was absolutely a ton of fun. And it was fun to look back like uh, like this season about player reviews we did last year. Then I think um, we'll definitely do all different types of like rumor stuff. We'll do draft pods, obviously. Um, I think maybe depending on time, obviously, you guys know that I'm in the U.S., Jackson, Australia. We'll see as much as we can do. But I think another interesting episode would be like um, – possible targets in free agency at each position you know looking at guards wings and bigs like giving you three episodes on that i think would be a lot of fun so we haven't come out with a schedule we will 
we will drop a season review, I think, of the whole team at some point over the next week or whenever we get free, and we'll give you guys kind of some type of schedule there. Yeah, and we might even chuck some polls out there just to see what you guys want because um, the people... It's for you guys. And I mean, we love it. We love the content. We love producing it. You know, we wouldn't con- consistently do this if we didn't enjoy it and we didn't love the interaction that has grown uh, with Nets Twitter and Nets fans in general and, and anyone who has listened to just even half an episode. Um, we are incredibly grateful for. But SSV, um, Trevion Graham, Nick, do we jump, dump him as well? True. That's an interesting one. I believe his contract's non-guaranteed for next year. I think he's a guy you keep around at like the end of your your bench. You know, if you don't get someone to fill in, I don't think he's a terrible guy. I think it kind of got messed up with a hamstring injury. Maybe they can work on his jump shot a little bit. I don't think he's a terrible piece. He's not a guy you need. If you need that cap space, you probably cut him. But if you don't need the cap space, why not keep him around? Yeah, exactly. And I think that we know Sean Marks is uh, a, a bit of a master at working the sort of salary cap to his advantage. Uh, but now there are going to be teams in terms of, you know, we we made those big offer sheets to guys like Tyler Johnson uh, and Otto Porter. Now there's a guy like D'Angelo Russell on the market. There might be some teams that are looking to get a little bit of revenge and sort of go, all right, well, we know D'Angelo, we probably don't necessarily want him, but, you know, we're going to force you guys to pay him this time. Uh, so Sean Marks being on the other end of that, it's going to be interesting to see how it sort of goes. Um, Crazy Dean's brought up Rondo Hollis Jefferson, Nick, um, uh, probably – Probably the best, the, the the Nets' biggest whipping boy for the past <laughs> three seasons, ever since I've been a Nets fan. Anyway, ever since he was drafted, uh, does he kick around? I think, I think he probably kicks around on because I'm not sure what other team's going to want him, and I think that the Nets can get him on the super cheap. Yeah, uh, just to talk, touch on D'Angelo real quick. I, if I'm putting in my early prediction right now, I would not be surprised if Phoenix offered him a max deal because yeah. they need to make Devin Booker very happy after all the nonsense that's going on there. So the fact that Phoenix is such a bad franchise, it's more likely they're going to offer D'Angelo the max. That's not to say that he doesn't deserve it, but I wouldn't be my ideal amount for him. And Rondé, it's interesting. I personally think that this was his last game. I think okay. – uh, I think they could probably get him back for the cheap, but he just does not have a role in the system. As much as he's, you know, been such a great teammate on and off the court and all the stuff he's done, and obviously that Sacramento performance was huge. I just think in this series and overall, like they could have used that roster spot. And I was thinking this to myself in the game for a true third center. Like if they had a true third center in his spot, it would have benefited them more in the series than having Rondé. And I love Rondé hyphen combination right there. In my real name's decent face, so I know what the hyphen's like, but. I love Rondé, it's sad to say, but I actually think another team might be able to find better use of him. Yeah, and I think that that's what we hope for him. You know, we've seen a lot of really great Nets guys, sort of uh, like Sean Kilpatrick and Isaiah Whitehead. These guys have been really great for the Brooklyn Nets system and in terms of the heart and energy, the Brooklyn grit that they've shown. So um, it will be sad to see him go if he does uh, uh, end up on another team or if he does end up in, in a different place uh, on in, not in the black and white or in the Coogie. But responding to what you said there a little bit, Nick, uh, I think it's an incredibly valid point. Uh, in terms of what the Phoenix Suns are doing. James Jones with his new role. Uh, Robert Sava probably wanting to make sure that his boy Devin Booker is happy with his fifth coach likely coming in. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that all sort of eventuates. But if that's sort of the, the way it goes, early prediction, do you match that? Um, I don't have a full max in front of me right now. I need to pull <laughs> it up. But, uh, well, I think in comparison, um, there's guys like... 
Andrew Wiggins, I think it's 29 million a year. I think Dimmer Book is like 145 over five. And obviously there's different little with Cat. I think he can get uh, a super, like an ex- extension and, and bonuses on top of that for making all NBA teams. But um, how it sort of eventuates, I don't think D'Angelo Russell deserves it. Yeah, I want to say, since I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, I would not be comfortable playing D'Angelo Russell more than $25 million a year. Yep, I wouldn't either. And I think that there was uh, someone on that Twitter posted the fact that uh, D'Angelo's agent was at um, their last home game and was seen chatting to, to Sean Mark. So some people are saying that there might be uh, negotiations already in talks and talks already sort of um, in underway. And maybe already, uh, I mean, you, it, um, despite the fact that, you know, I, I think you can't or it's against the rules or whatever, it's stupid to say that it, that it wouldn't be, um, that would be the case. But the, that number is going to be the biggest thing more than anything else. And I think that, you know, in terms of priorities, it'll be interesting to see. I think maybe a general sort of NBA pod in terms of relating to the Nets would be our priorities in the offseason, the Nets' priorities. Um, I think that we could do a huge episode on that. And I think it'll be a really good engaging one in terms of, do you prioritize going after a big name free agent? Do you prioritize going after that's those sort of role guys, those um, centers? Do you prioritize Nick? You've sort of brought it up, re-signing Carlos Verde at this stage already. Um, he does have an injury history behind him, but he's probably proven himself to maybe be the Nets best player right now. Yeah, I th- would say, you know, after the season, as good as D'Angelo was, I still think he's a Nets best two-way player. If you want to say D'Angelo's a better offensive player, I think that's fair because his playmaking, when he's engaged and he's hitting a shot, is at a different level. But the problem with D'Angelo is the consistency. That's what makes it so scary. But then you look at it, he's also only 23 years old. So it's like he can get better. He can put on more size. Can he add more to his game? And obviously the defensive end of the floor is where it's all about. It's, it's going to be really interesting for D'Angelo. What it'll do is, let's say the Suns come out on, let's not say they get a knockdown on July 1st, because it's really weird to restrict a free agency signs on like the first day of free agency. It would be more likely to be like July 2nd or July 3rd or something like that. They agree to the offer sheet, or they technically can't sign it until like July 4th, actually. So let's say they sign on July 4th. Now the Nets have a two-day window to decide if they want to do that. They could also get a meeting with, let's say, Kyrie, who's been known wanting to come to New York, and let's say they get knocked out by the Bucks. Now you get into a situation, it's like, all right, do I want to overpay D'Angelo or do I want to overpay Kyrie, who I know is more consistent, does have the injury history, but he's also a huge name. Yeah, and uh, Bill Simmons probably as recently as a couple of weeks ago was saying he would rather pay D'Angelo Russell. And a lot of fans have sort of been on that bandwagon. But then you see what's happened in this postseason. And we know Kyrie Irving is probably one of the five, six best postseason performers in the NBA. He just I believe knows- he made Gus's top five this week for uh, week one of best NBA uh, playoff players. Does not surprise me. Gus is a very intelligent man, obviously, as well. Um, <laughs> so I think that, yeah, there's going to be so many sort of different sort of factors, Nick. But in terms of the form in the postseason from all of our role players, does that sour you on the Nets overall season? Or are you looking at more of overall, like in the fact that Rody wasn't able to sort of make an impact despite the fact that he had a great regular season towards the latter parts as well, you know, being able to be a starter. Tamari Carroll not hitting shots, Joe Harris not hitting shots, uh, D'Angelo Russell's form being incredibly poor, not necessarily just having the feel uh, for when and for when to get his shot, when to pass, all that sort of thing. Has it soured you individually on these players? I think I'm disappointed in the way they performed because it was not their best play. And just so many guys played bad in this series. And I don't think it was as much as the Sixers. It was just like the actual Nets playing bad. I think it sours you a little bit. I think on D'Angelo's front, 
think that's the one where you kind of hurt the most because it's like, all right, you're supposed to be the best player and carry this team and find a way. And there there was a couple moments, but it was only a couple minute stretches. There wasn't ever like, all right, this is D'Lo's game. Like I messaged you before, would you rather have see D'Lo drop 40 or Damari and Joe Harris step up? Like I wanted to see a vintage D'Angelo Russell full-on playoff game where he dropped like 30 or 40 points. And it just didn't happen. And I think that kind of hurts a little bit. But then I remind myself, he's only 23 years old. So, like, I think, like, I almost want to do another show three days from now. And you can ask me all the same questions and see how much recency bias is, you know, putting into an effect right now. Yeah, recency bias obviously has any sort of effect. It's just the way that the human brain works. Um, and matchup, too. Like, uh, let's say Ben Simmons was on him. He's 6'10". That's a tough matchup for a lot of guys in the league, especially for someone who's not over-athletic. Yeah, I mean, and he is he's awesome. Um, ben Simmons is an awesome defender. Obviously, I haven't been his biggest fan <laughs> throughout this postseason, but he's a tremendous all all defensive caliber sort of defender, and he just made things incredibly hard for D'Angelo. Um, for me, the the worry about D'Angelo is yes, he's young, and yes, he's only twenty three, but what is the peak of his game? That's mm-hmm. the, for me the worrisome sort of thing. Whereas I think Karras is sort of got so much more untapped potential in comparison to a guy like D'Angelo who is probably sort of peaking to an extent already in terms of his perimeter shooting, in terms of his passing. I don't know how much better he can get as a passer. I think he can get better as a shooter. He can get much better as a defender. He can get much better as a driver. But I think that in terms of comfort levels, he doesn't look comfortable driving the ball either. So like you can only force something upon someone. You know, If they're not naturally a good driver, how good can they actually get? He can only finish with his left. Can he finish with his right? You know, I think... It's it's very very interesting. You can obviously we've done we've talked about D'Angelo plenty throughout this season, and um his player probably review is going to be uh, an incredibly popular one. But um it'll be fascinating to see. Obviously, I'm I'm still high on D'Lo, probably a lot higher than a lot of other people on NBA Twitter. But um he's still got a ways to go. Yeah, D'Lo's like probably the one guy in NBA Twitter. You ask somebody, they might say, "Oh, he's really good. He's an all star. I can't wait to watch him develop." Or you might be like. Uh, someone's going to overpay his ass this summer and they're going to end up screwing up their franchise for the next few years. So I think the spectrum on D'Angelo is so crazy. And getting to Levert, and this sounds crazy and this maybe is a hot take, all I could think about this entire series was watching him match up with Jimmy Butler and him outplay Jimmy Butler and be like, maybe Jimmy Butler is what Karis Levert can be. Obviously their skill sets are still a little bit different, but like, what is stopping him from being that type of player? Yeah, I think in the last Bill Simmons pod, he's gotten a lot higher on Karis Levert lately. <laughs> um, literally, he has gotten a lot higher on him. He sort of said that he has this old school style of like sort of 70s play where he's like admittedly and purposefully herky-jerky in his footwork, in his pace and the way that he contorts his body. Um, and, and it works for him because he wants to do it. He has confidence in his balance uh, and all those different things. And it's incredibly unique for a player to have that sort of skill set. I think that's what separates him because no one really plays like Karis Levert. Yes, he made a, a really apt comparison with, with Jimmy Butler, Nick. But I think that they're incredibly different players in a lot of ways as well. But uh, a, a lot of fascinating things to happen in the offseason. And he um, a little Joe Johnson in him with the way that he likes to get into a position and put his defender on his hip or behind him. It's so he can like feel them right behind him. And now he's like, all right, I have the defender on my hip. The guy in front of me, I can see. Now I decide, do I have to shoot the floater teardrop or am I going to drop it over to Jared Allen? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that he's going to continue to grow as a player. And I think that if he stays healthy, um, then it's the, 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 the sky is the limit for a guy like him. Um, he's so talented and he's such a pleasure to watch. And the fact that he's proven it in the postseason in, in comparison to a lot of other guys that we haven't spoken about, 
Um, in, 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 he's probably he was easily our playoff sort of MVP. Um, and the fact that he was able to do it there, I think, gives him a tremendous amount of confidence. You know, we half back to our season preview with Karis LeVert, and he was the guy. No one, it was just Karis LeVert, Karis LeVert, Karis LeVert, Karis LeVert. And then he came out and he was leading the most improved player conversation. If he had stayed healthy, I think that he would have had a greater shot at the most improved player than D'Angelo Russell does yeah. right now in comparison in that race with Pascal Siakam. Because I Especially think that, because of his two-way ability, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think Pascal Siakam possesses that in both ways also. So um, it's the, there's going to be a, a tremendous... Where, where Karis Levert is in three to four years' time, um, I, I can't wait to see that process. Jack, question for you. Based off what you saw this series, and then obviously he's going to improve, where would Karis Levert sit in terms of a championship team? Would he be your second, third, fourth best player after you saw this series and the peaks that he can hit, let's say, two or three years from now? Yeah, I think it's a sort of two A type, Nick. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I sort of we sort of talked about the Russell not being, you know, probably the one, the two, or maybe even the three. I think if you package those two guys and their talents together, that's a number two guy because the Russell has the offensive f- firepower and the ability to hit and and pass like an absolute madman. But then you've got Carlos Levert with his two way ability and just his ability to drive with such purpose and ferocity. So I think that De- at his peak. Karis Levert, 26, 27 years old, is probably a number two guy. But if he has, there needs to be like a real number one, like a Kyrie Irving, a Kawhi Leonard. If you have a Jimmy Butler, maybe. Then I think that, but obviously those guys' skill sets probably almost cancel each other out and to a lesser extent. But Jimmy has a much better jump shot and mid-range sort of game and is a bit more physical as a defender. So um, I think it's where he fits and the people around him um, that will probably determine where he is in that sort of pecking order. And I'd love to see him steal some of Jimmy's moves because I think Karras does some of the similar moves. They're just a little closer to the rim. So if he adds that in-between mid-range game that Jimmy has, where he's like, it's like he's dancing out there. He hit the nets with a ton of spin moves this series, and they were just lost. And it's like, it's not like Jimmy's the most athletic guy at this point in his career. I mean, he's still a great athlete, but he's not like blowing you out of the water. Yeah, and I, and I think that the fact that he can continue to grow in that sort of sense is is something that's really exciting. Um, and yeah, there's just still so much growth in terms of when you have your best players with youth on their side, um, that's the really exciting thing. It's going to be obviously how you sort of build a roster um, in, in today's day and age. It needs to be that combination of, of free agency and drafting. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how sort of Sean Marks does that, how Coach Kenny continues to develop as a coach as well. Uh, and, and on Coach Kenny, Nick, does... This postseason changed your ideas and thoughts on Coach Kenny because I know a lot of people were jumping into into that and making their thoughts and feelings known uh, as the Nets were struggling in Game 5. Yeah, I don't think uh, – Game 5 has nothing to do with Kenny. If you want to put this on Kenny, that's on you because your team's going to be terrible. Like, they were straight up terrible. Everybody on the court was terrible the entire first quarter except Karis LeVert. You want to put Game 3 on Kenny? I think that's fair. And I think the one thing that he kind of confused me with this series is he kind of went to guys – for long stretches when they weren't necessarily deserving it and didn't play other guys where we saw in the season, he was real quick to bench, you know, D'Angelo Russell, he was playing bad. Like we talked about it. Joe Harris maybe should have been benched in a couple of these games and played Spencer Dinwiddie or somebody else on the floor. Then just like the whole way he handled the Rodion situation. Like, how are you going to start this dude for three games and then not really have him in the rotation for the next two? I know he played tonight, but it was mostly garbage minutes. So I thought that was a little bit confusing. And I just think it, it hurts to kind of gauge him because the team played so bad too. So it's like, 
were they fully playing at the highest level? Is it on the coach? Is it on them? Is a combination? I think I kind of feel the same. I always felt like Kenny was developing this season. This is just another development for him in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, and, and I think in that sense, we sort of saw moments from Coach Kenny uh, in the positive sense. And I think that you can only grow from that. We've got him um, locked up long-term, same as Sean Marks. This organization is stable which I think, you know, breeds success. I think stability breeds success. Um, and I mean, that's speaking holistically, but also in terms of the NBA basketball. So I think the fact that Coach Kenny has that stability, I think, you know, obviously when you're playing for something and you, know, you want to get your contract extension or you want to get paid, then you act or behave or play or, or coach in certain ways. So I think that the, his development in the offseason, we know how passionate he is. We know how much hard he works. I think that he just needs to... Maybe even just calm down a little bit. Get, get, the, get some Steve Kerr mentality about him. Do the Clay Tom, get the do the Clay Thompson and, and jump in the ocean or something. Um, I think that he'd benefit from just being able to, you know, be more in the moment and, and, and more proactive. We've sort of harped on that word uh, quite consistently. You know, a lot of guys in in the chat right now are sort of saying, you know, let's not do this anal anal analytic stuff where it's just like every guy plays 31 minutes and no guy plays more than 35 minutes. We saw in the playoffs a little bit with Carol Savert and, and in that game before, you know, the, the analytics were thrown out the window and he just played the best guys. Then that needs to happen a little more consistently in the regular season. Not obviously, I, I probably back in what he's sort of getting with the relationship from the training staff as well and, and what benefits most. And obviously, it's back-to-backs and everything that goes with that. But at the same time, Coach Kenny is the head. He should have the ultimate say at the end of the day. Um, but I love the cohort that he has, his assistant coaches, the relationship he has with Sean Marks. But uh, we've got a great coach, guys. I think that we need to realize that and we need to appreciate that. And I think he learned his lesson in the series about playing guys more minutes. In game one, game two, game three, he didn't play guys excessive minutes, and we complained about it. Game three, I told you, I think that's the one game where you can put it on Kenny. The other games in the series, it was a lot more so on the players. Game three, the proper adjustments weren't made. He needed to play Karis LeVert more in that game. He learned in game four, but obviously it was a little bit too late for the series, and the Nets ended up losing. He'll carry that on to next year, and like you said, regular season, I don't really care as much. Like regular season does matter. And you need to win games. If there's certain games, you know, late in the season, you got to play guys a little bit more. But early on in the year, I, I'm I'm cool with just kind of playing the guys the right amount of minutes. But I agree with the fact he needs to zen out. Maybe he needs to wear like a yoga shirt, like, uh, like Steve Kerr. What was it like, spiritual gangster or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and I mean, he's gotten so much credit and and, and plaudits from from all of his peers, from from Popovich to Kurt to Doc Rivers, all these sort of guys. So. um well, I think we need to sort of temper our overreactions in that sort of sense and just realize that we've got a really nice young coach here that a lot of other teams would be killing to have. You know, ask uh, the Suns. Yeah, <laughs> ask the Suns, exactly. You know, if Devin Booker had Coach Kenny right now, he'd be an all-star and he'd probably be in the playoffs. And uh, I think that you, you take for granted what you have and you just think that, oh, well, then why don't we get a Monty Williams? Why don't we have Ty Lue? Why don't we have the next best assistant? When you have something good already, the grass isn't always greener. Yeah, I would already say, you know, for a fact, and, you know, you want to argue where he sits, at least Kenny's in the top half of coaching in the NBA. Like, he's yeah. top 15 guy. Player development, he's probably top five. Just like the – you have to look at what was expected of certain guys when they signed to the Nets and where they're at and where they're at now. Like, how many players in the Nets would other teams wish they have? Like, how many other teams in the playoffs right now wish they had a Spencer Dinwiddie? Like, look at Philly. If they had a Spencer Dinwiddie, people might look at them more as contenders for the Eastern Conference because they have a guy like that. Even a team like OKC having a guy 
guy like Spencer would be huge. I think there's just so many players. Joe Harris, like they developed these guys themselves. And that means they probably can do it again in the future. So they're going to probably lose some of these role players eventually, but they can keep developing them. And Sean Marks has been excellent with the draft and the whole front office in terms of finding talent on the street. Yeah, and I think that that's one thing. You know, it's not always going to be um, home runs for this Nets team. There's going to be some missteps along the way. And I think the reaction and, uh, and how we sort of deal with that adversity, you know, we're sort of already starting to sort of see how the Nets organization as a whole is at dealing with that. And I think that in terms of what we sort of saw with, you know, Sean Marks and, and Joseph Sy and Coach Kenny, they seem to rally together, which I think is a togetherness that a lot of other teams would love to have. Um, I, I think that, you know, the, as much as this this league is driven off star power and, and you know, the, the, the elite guys, I think that there's a benefit to, you know, when you have that star guy as well as the sort of togetherness, you get a team like the San Antonio Spurs, you get a team like the Portland Trailblazers, where you have a quality organization and you have the talent within and you have sustained success. And I think that that's what the Nets are building towards. I think we're still a ways to go, but this is the first step in hopefully what is going to be, you know, an upward trajectory um, from next season and beyond. Yeah, and I think in terms of just like uh, Joseph Sai and Sean Marks and Kenny all kind of uh, complaining about the officiating, it says a lot because I think, you know, you can relate to this on a, a regular guy level. This doesn't just have to be NBA players. When your boss has your back, it feels good. Like if there's an issue going on and your boss is backing you up and that's what's happening on like every single level of your bosses from Kenny, you know, to front office, to ownership, you're getting all that. I think players appreciate that. You'd seem like Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, Spencer, Jared Dudley all appreciated that. And other NBA guys see that and they're like, all right, I want a coach that has my back instead of a coach or a front office that's calling me out. Yeah. And I think that it, it'll, it'll all sort of play out. I think that the Nets are already on the radar. That, that's mm -hmm. that's without question and you know it was only a few months ago where we were sort of saying you know when the jimmy butler rumors were coming out it's like holy crap we're on the we're on the radar and then porzingis and all these sort of guys you know we're on the radar and, and the fact that that's happened in, in the space of three seasons you know with the rookie head coach and, and a rookie gm and you know there's guys like trajan langdon who are you know being interested from plenty of other organizations it speaks incredibly highly to what we're building as a whole um and I think that holistically and as the organization as a whole has plenty of good things happening for it. It's how you take those positives and continue to grow. Um, obviously, you know, I've heard Sean Mark speak plenty of times uh, to the media and in podcasts that, you know, we're not about resting on our laurels. And I think that, you know, the expectations we had in the, to the season from the coaches in the front office was we didn't expect to make the playoffs, but then we had the leadership from guys like Jared Dudley, you know, Ed Davis and Tamara Kell to drive that. It's within reach. We're going to make it. I know Ed Davis in, in his sort of pre-games and, and in a lot of stuff uh, that I read on Nets Public was saying, you know, I didn't come here just to make up the numbers. I want to make the playoffs with this team. And it was sort of scoffed at to an extent. I know I scoffed at it a little bit. So if we can continue to bring in those qualities, guys, those quality vets, I think that I remember a, a, a Steve Kerr podcast um, with, with Howard Beck where he was sort of saying that about the Brooklyn Nets, a year ago, maybe two ago, that it takes a lot to build something from the ground up when you don't have the talent already there. We're building the culture and then the talent comes in after that. Whereas he had the luxury of going into a place that had the talent but needed a little bit more of that culture. So how you go about it is obviously there's plenty of different ways to success. Um, but I think talent at the end of the day is what drives success in this league. And how much talent we can bring in 
is going to determine where we sort of finish in the playoffs next year. Hopefully we still make it and we have, you know, healthy players. Um, but we need to continue to develop that talent, which you were sort of saying with Coach Kenny, but continue to lure that front talent in with the free agency also. Yeah, I think I just you pretty much nailed it, Jack. You know, and I think uh, one thing that you mentioned that just really stuck out, and I think we should talk about it. How much did not having Ed Davis in the series really impact the Nets? He was there for game one, game two, we got to play a little bit, but pretty much gone the rest of the series with ankle injury. Yeah, and I think that we saw his value and we talked about it so highly after that game one. Um, and I think it goes under the, you've sort of talked about it, Nick. It does go under the radar a little bit how important he was in that game one, in that game one win. It was probably, uh, uh, for me, you know, I'm pretty sure I did a player breakdown of, of him somewhere. The fact that, you know, as good as Carlos Verde and Spence were in that game and Dealer hitting some shots in the third quarter, it was Ed Davis to be able to limit and curb the, the influence of probably the best center in the league in Joel Embiid that allowed us to win that game um, and allowed us to, to have a really good win. Um, and the physicality it, he brings, too, on the screens, I felt like his toughness is something that no one else on the team really brought, other than maybe Jared Dudley, but he doesn't have the same type of presence. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that he sticks around for that um, for a little bit longer. But, you know, doing a play review of him and sort of like forecasting for what he could get on the open market is is fascinating as well, just to think about. But um, he was a tremendous book on that and did so many great things on and off the court for the team. Yeah, honestly, I feel like if he was healthy this series, he probably would have played more minutes than Jared Allen. Yeah, uh, I, I don't doubt that either. Um, I don't doubt that at all. But it, it's... It's it's fascinating to sort of think that, you know, I think a lot of people were talking about the fact that Ed Davis is one of the best friends the, the Nets have ever landed. Um, but I think that there's a, a lot of things and the fact that we can, you know, get those sort of guys, you know, if you have Ed Davis still um, for another season, I mean, he's going to get some money. I mean, there's going to be a team that needs another center. Or does he take a discount because he loves uh, what he was sort of building in Brooklyn? It'll be interesting to sort of see what his priorities are, what the team's priorities are in that sort of sense. But, you know, the big man in that front court position is certainly something we need to focus on. Yeah, and he's a good compliment for Jared Allen. And it's kind of perfect because Ed Davis isn't the youngest guy. So as Ed Davis kind of regresses a little bit, Jared Allen will be improving and kind of building up his physicality. So maybe they can get a long-term deal that is some type of discount because I wouldn't mind him being the backup center for the next few seasons just because he's kind of everything you ask for in a backup center. Yeah, he's probably the best backup big in the league in, in my eyes. I think there's probably a few other guys out there that I'm not thinking about. obviously. Sabonis probably, but you know I think Sabonis plays uh, quite regularly with a guy like Miles Turner at the same time. Whereas we never see Ed Davis playing alongside Jared Allen. So I think that as a pure backup, you know it's Ed Davis. But um, it, it's uh, there's plenty of stuff to talk about, Nick. I think we should probably save some of this chatter for some of the the off season pods. But were there any final thoughts you wanted to say before we uh, we jumped off this one? Um, nothing really. I mean, just the fact the performance was just so bad to start and it just really hurt that so many guys came out and were just like choking in this game in the first quarter. And there's really no other way to put it around. They were just missing makeable shots because I don't even think Philly was excellent this game. Yeah, they played with some tenacity to start, but the Nets just missed a ton of wide open shots. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there was just so many good shots. And, you know, we went, you know, in 0 of 8 and had five turnovers in the five, first five minutes. Um, it's not going to win you many many games in general, let alone against one of the best starting units, which outscored us. Uh, I'm going for Tom Haverstroke. Took my notes. This is where they come in handy. The Phillies starters outscored us, you know, up to the second quarter, 125 to 60 
in the entire series. Uh, so- and there was a problem all season long, and we talked about that in the series preview, and I felt like the starting lineup just wasn't good enough, and I think they did adjust it, but it didn't make a big enough difference. Exactly, exactly. And um, big shout-outs to, to Charlie Schneider, who's who's given us a nice thank you to SSV, to Nick Chaplin, to Crazy Dean, everyone who's jumped into the chat, everyone who's listening and watching right now, Blue Skies, anyone who's commented on any thing that we've done and any content that we've produced throughout the season. And um, it's only the beginning, guys. Honestly, seriously, very thankful for you guys and girls for all the support we've had this year. We've took a major jump from where we were last season this year. A lot of it, obviously, the net success. But, you know, Jack and I love producing the buzz, putting out the content, and obviously hopefully more to come, especially if the Nets are able to land a big fish. The hype will even keep growing. We really appreciate you taking the time of your day to listen, view, comment, whatever it may be. Any support, appreciate all the the subscriptions on uh, iTunes and all the reviews and the ratings. That stuff really helps us out. So just really appreciate the support. And Jack and I couldn't ask for a better fan base. Stay tuned, homies. All right. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.